Thanks, guys. Um, this past week I've been away, I've been up in Auckland. Um, I've been part of this thing called Arrow Leadership uh, New Zealand. It's a, um, I've been there with them for about almost 10 years now. Uh, it's a place where we uh, intentionally train young Christian leaders um, between the ages of 25 and 40. They have a little bit of experience or they're venturing into, uh, you know, some pretty intensive leadership uh, appointments, and we get them through a two-year program in which, in that two years, they spend each year, um, they do two one-week intensives uh, in Auckland at uh, the uh, Vaughan Park Retreat, which is the Anglican Retreat in Long Bay, um, and in between those times, they've got some activities, uh, coaching, and a number of other things that we do with them. Uh, this was just from this past week. Um, on the left there is David Law Morris, who leads us in worship on every morning of the week as we go to chapel. Uh, and uh, on the right there is the classroom. Um, that's Janet Tuck, who's teaching on resilience. Uh, that was on the Wednesday. It's, it's a pretty cool time. I mean, I'm quite privileged to be with, um, with these leaders. But it's also a good time for me to unplug and be with some really hungry young people itching uh, to kind of do God's work um, you know, with a very strong purpose. And so, yes, it's, it's a great week. What I teach on in particular, apart from being on the team, is uh, what I do is I teach discerning personal vision. Um, that's the course I did. I take a day to do that. Um, on the Tuesday, that's what I did, and then I'll spend a couple days hanging with them. But uh, the, the course I do is broken into three parts. We talk about biblical vision, that is, who is God? Who is God, and, and what does the Bible actually say about him? Because we all bring our own vision of God. Um, some people don't like to call him Father. Others don't like to see him as this Old Testament-type God, um, and others actually like the Old Testament type God and wish he was around more often, you know. And so the whole point of there is actually kind of breaking down some personal barriers and challenging people on who God really is. Um, and then the second part is about personal vision. It's talking about yourself. You know, who are you in God's eyes? You know, who, who do, does God see you to be? And we do a number of different activities around that. And lastly, uh, what we call organizational vision, which is around, you know, where do I fit? You know, what, with the skill set I am and who I am, where, where do I actually fit? Um, it's a pretty intensive day, and it will go from about uh, 10 o'clock after morning chapel all the way through till the evening um, as we wrestle with the questions that, uh, that are posed. So the question uh, I get asked is, well, why do we need to discern our own personal vision? By the way, you don't need to be a leader to have a personal vision. We all should have a vision for our own lives. And one of the reasons why is John Ortberg puts it really well. He says, life is not about any particular achievement or experience. The most important task of your life is not what you do, but who you become. Now, this is actually quite key. And as Christians, we tend to forget this. In churches in particular, we get so hung up with what we should do and we don't actually kind of stop and think, 
what are we becoming? And it's not just as a collective, but for you as an individual. And this is where we get tripped up all the time. You see, calling, your calling, God's calling in your life, is all about who He is shaping you to be. Not shaping you to do, to be. Now, this is really important. Because I think for a lot of things, we cover or we ignore the being by, by doing. You know, we, we, we'll, we'll do things to cover, you know, over you know, the whole being thing. Because we're not, most probably many of us are not comfortable with being. We're not comfortable with ourselves. It's fascinating, uh, the story of Jonah, you know, the book of Jonah. We, we, we can take so much out of that book, can we? Uh, you know, Jonah, uh, how he, he runs off, he gets in a boat, and then, you know, the, the storm hits, and then, you know, he's thrown out to the sea, and all the sailors are saved because of this action. They see God's power. And then Jonah in the waves, he gets saved by the whale, and he lives in it for three days, and then he ends up going, doing the task of, of, of preaching the gospel, the message, not the gospel, really. Um, the message to the Ninevites, and then they all give their, I mean, they all confess, and such a great story. But the book of Jonah is not about any of that. The book of Jonah is all about Jonah. We get so hung up in the whole bits that go on in it, or what we call the side bits, because they're actually pretty fantastic, right? All the things, the great things that God has. But the book's not about that. The book is all about Jonah. And it ends with a kind of bad taste, right? If you read the end of Jonah, it just kind of ends. And you're like, huh? That, that, just like that? Because Jonah just doesn't get it. And it's actually kind of a sad book because Jonah's all about doing. And what about being? The journey that God's taking him on is all about Jonah and his relationship with God, getting to understand who God is in his life and, and who he is before God. It's not about the Ninevites. It's not even about the whale. It's all about Jonah. Anyone know what this is? Some of you tech gurus out there. The noise an angry cat makes. That's all. <laughs> IFTTT. Anyone know what that is? Oh, come on. No gurus here? No internet people? If this, then that? Um, you can actually download the program. There's an actual program. Uh, and what it does is it links uh, things. It, 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 you know, it's, it's like... If you send an email, we'll let this program know that you sent an email. Or if so-and-so calls you, we'll note it in your app. It's, it's, a, it's kind of like Zapier and, and IFTTT. Um, Apple calls it shortcuts. If you've got shortcuts on your phone, it's the same concept. If this, then that. We as Christians love this. The way we function as Christians is very much like this. If this, then that. If you believe in Jesus, you will go to heaven. 
right? That's our approach to our Christianity. If we just work harder, more people will come to Christ. If we just do this program, then people will be happy. If we just had more baptisms, we could be a great church. And that's not how it works. We've got to get away from this aspect, or of IFTTT, if this, then that. The biggest problem with Christianity today, and the biggest problem with churches today, is we feel if we've got this, then we can do this. If this happens, then this can happen. It was fascinating being up at Arrow this week, because um, we've got a team of us, there's about four on the team. One of those, well, two of those people on that team were the reviewers of Arise. They wrote the report. They couldn't tell us because it had to be confidential, but now that it's made public, they were able to tell us, or the other two of us who were on the team. And we were, they were going to share with our intake on the Wednesday night about that process. But before they wanted to do that, they wanted to talk with us personally to say, hey, do you have any questions? Do you want to talk about this? And my first question was, how are you doing? And he said this, which was fascinating, you know, it's not the media that I worry about. Actually, the media is doing its job. What's been eye-opening is how the Christian world has reacted to this review. It's actually been pretty awful for him. People are questioning his parentage. Christians. But as we talk through it, he outlines some of the issues. And the issues that he sees, not just in our eyes, but in all churches. So we can't just point the finger at them. You know, I feel actually we have this problem. Actually, pretty much most churches have this problem. If we could just be this, then we can do this. It's that approach that they have. But over time, what you forget, what you're not investing in, what you're not doing is, who are you actually becoming? Do you not see it? Oh, but we've got thousands of people coming to church. Look at this. It's amazing. But what are you becoming? My cynical self will say, yeah, there's a lot of dead churches around you. But even so, what are you becoming? And you know what? I'm no different. Because you know what keeps me up at night? How can I grow this church? What do we need to do to make it grow? How can we get more money? These are the things in the top of my head. These are the things that keep me up at night. Because if I could just do this, maybe this can happen. And God's like, Rob, I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in you. What are you becoming? That's City Baptist Church. I'm not interested in how big you are and how cool you look. I'm interested in what you are becoming. Getting back into my slides. Oh, actually, this is a great, sorry, this is a great comment by uh, a modern-day Christian philosopher, Peter Rollins, who talks about this issue that we have around you know, kind of this if this, then that approach that we have. We do this with evangelism. We do this with God. And he, in his book, The Idolatry of God, he says this. He says, today we see taking place in the church 
uh, is the reduction of God to this kind of formula. That is, to a thing that we can satisfy us and fill the gap that we feel in our hearts. By misunderstanding the nature of faith, they have turned the good news of Christianity into the bad news of idol worship. By claiming that God is the way to fill this gap, they reduce the divine to the level of a product. And ultimately, if you follow this, if this, then that approach, you end up turning Christianity into a product. Because then everything needs to meet that requirement. I've got to look good. I've got to lose weight so I can project myself well and entice people to come. We've got to have better lights because that can help. Then this is going to be better. You know, can you see how it goes on? And what we end up doing is turning God into an idol. Back to my slides regarding personal vision. One thing I, I, I train them on is the cycle, the cycle of grief. And I use this personally but we can also use this, use this in the scope of a community of people. But the way we normally function as humans is we want to achieve. So we keep ourselves busy. We do a lot of stuff so that we can achieve things because achieving things gives us identity. It makes us feel good if we achieve something, right? We have an identity. Oh, yes, I've achieved. And then that takes us to the next point, which is drivenness. Seeing as I have identity in achieving, so I strive to keep achieving. I'm driven, and that's what churches end up doing. That's what I end up doing. That's what some of you here end up doing. We're driven because we want to keep that identity, and so we need to achieve. And ultimately, that leads to what we feel is acceptance. The problem with the acceptance on this level is it's always temporary and fragile with it, which then drives us to do what? To achieve again and go through what I call the cycle of grief. We keep going around and around in a circle. This is easy for me because I look at that and say, that's me to a T. So if I could just get more people in here, if I could just, then I'd be accepted. If I could preach a good sermon, oh, then I'll be accepted. But there's another cycle, and we need to flip this over. Get away from the cycle of grief and become more along the lines of a cycle of grace. It's from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 to 10. It begins immediately with acceptance. Straight from the beginning, it's acceptance in, in, in verse 4 to 5 of chapter 2 of Ephesians. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions, it is by grace that you have been saved. What have we done? It's not a rhetorical question. Nothing. Acceptance. And we've done nothing. Absolutely nothing. He has done it all for us. We begin not with achievements. We begin with acceptance. You are accepted by Jesus Christ. You don't need to do anything about that. You were dead to your transgressions, but he still died for you. Acceptance then leads us to the second point. We find in that our identity. 
going on from verse 6. It says, And God then raised us up with Christ and seated us within the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. What have we done to be in the heavenly realms? Nothing. Still nothing. Uh, yeah, we'll talk about that another time. Yeah, that's, that's a bit of a catchy thing there. Because we have to do something. But God didn't lay out the plan based on we having to do something. He laid it out anyway. Whether we accept him or not. Whether we bring him in or not. Acceptance is brought upon and that gives us our identity. Going on. Then our sustenance is found through him. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Again, what have we done? We've gone three quarters of the circle and we haven't done anything yet. Compared to the other one, we're accepted. Even in our rottenness, we're accepted unconditional grace. In that we find our identity. Yes, there needs to actually be acceptance. We need to accept that so it would be much identity then. And it takes us through to sustenance, and then we find achievement. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is from and it's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. If you want a definition of what it means to do good works, listen to last week's sermon as we unpack that in Galatians verses 1 to 10. We talked right before that about the fruit of the Spirit. No one ever talks about what the tree is. We always talk about what comes out of that. No one talks about what the tree is. Well, verses 1 to, 6 of, uh, 1 to 10 of chapter 6 talks about the tree and where that fruit comes from. A life filled with the Spirit. Now I'm sharing all of this with you because we are into our last week. 22 weeks of Galatians. This is the 22nd sermon on Galatians. Not a bad effort, hey guys? And we're into that. And the whole point that Paul is pulling out, we're into this last little bit that most of us tend to ignore at the end of every book, you know, because he's just saying goodbye and thank you very much and you've done this and that, say hi to so-and-so. But actually, this is really important. Galatians ends on a very important note. And if anything, this comment here by Brendan Manning really seals it for us. My deepest awareness of myself is that I am loved deeply by Jesus Christ and I have done nothing to earn or deserve it. Nothing. We've gone through 21 weeks of Galatians where Paul is just banging on them saying, what are you guys doing? You're talking about the law. You're talking about circumcision. You're talking about having to fit in. You're talking about all this stuff. Why? What's going on? And he brings it back up again. But before he brings it all back up in a very short sentence, he kind of sums up the whole book of Galatians. You know, he says... Why? Why are you doing this? 
What's driving you? It's like you want to do, you don't want to be. It's like if you could do this, then you can be this. It's not how it works. One of the reasons why we're launching this campaign about Church Next, and I'll be talking about that in our new series, Rhythms of Life, and talking about what it actually means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, and what rhythms should be playing out in our lives that we really need to be intentional about. Intentional community. Intentionally seeking Him through prayer. Intentional service. Some really basic stuff. People have said to me, oh, Rob, this whole church next thing is pretty basic. I mean, what's, what's the deal? I said, well, the last two years have shown that life's just not basic anymore. Just seeing you all without masks, for the most part, is quite astounding. Someone said, I could wear lipstick this morning. It wasn't a guy who said that. <laughs> for those of you who have facial hair, you know how much of a problem having... Facial, a face mask means, right? It messes up your beard. Aww. We're talking about rhythms and, and to say, hey, you know what? Maybe it's time to stop all this doing. Maybe it's not about what we do. It's actually about who we are. What are we becoming? That's not to say we, we're not going to be doing outreach or we're not going to be doing evangelism and all of that. that those are integral parts of, of the life of a, of a Christian. But it should be an outpouring of who we are rather than a, a to-do list of what we should be doing. It should be just a natural part of who you and I are. Paul is, is, is at a point in this letter. He's been writing this whole time and, and you know, he says this as he starts into the the last verses, he says, See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. I would imagine he's writing in all caps. Right? You know, or, or rewriting over it to make it bold as he's trying to write this letter. You know, it's funny because today this whole etiquette on, on how you send emails it makes me laugh. It really does. Back in the day, we got letters, and you never got a response straight away from the letter to explain what you meant in that letter. You had to wait a week or two. I remember when I was dating Monica, I was living in Italy, she was living in the States. I had to ride my moped to the Vatican because in Rome, no one really trusted the Roman postal system, and I wanted to make sure she got my letters. So I get on my moped, drive in all the way into town, into the Vatican, and send it by Vatican Post it was holy. <laughs> so she'd get it. But you know the funny thing about it is I'd get a, a letter and, and there'll be a couple things in there and I'd be like, what does she mean by that? So I have to then sit down, write a letter and wait two weeks at the earliest to get the reply back. Imagine Paul writing this letter and he's writing all caps. Now, do you really want to do that, Paul? You know, our email etiquette today is like, oh, you know, you've got to write this right. Now he's just writing it. He's just laying it out. And he's saying, look, I'm writing with large letters. If you don't understand, this is important. I'm screaming right now, is what he's saying. He goes on to say this. 
Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised can keep the law, yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. In essence, we see it, we've heard it this whole time in the last 21 weeks, but these people were being pressured. They are being pressured by uh, their friends, by the other Jews who were saying, hang on a sec, we're the people of God and you've got to do this. If you follow God, then you must do this. It's the ancient version of the IFTTT. You must do this. And if you do this, it'll make my life easier so they don't come on my back to tell me why are these people not getting circumcised? Why are they not following the laws of Moses? Why aren't they doing this? Because if they're this, they must be that. Scott McKnight, in his commentary on Galatians, says this, their message was essentially a nationalism or a cultural imperialism tacked onto the gospel. That is, the necessity of joining the Jewish nation in order to become acceptable to God. To join the Jewish nation meant to adopt the law of Moses as the moral guideline and as the means for God's acceptance. When I first started working at Southview, which was a Southern Baptist church just out outside of Northern Virginia, I was the youth, young adult, and worship pastor. I ran the Sunday services and I took care of every kid from the age of 12 to 25. And I remember the pastor telling me, this is a church, you can't wear jeans. I thought he was joking. Can I wear shorts? No. Okay, what do I wear? Pants. Pleated pants. I didn't even know what that meant. I'm like, you're kidding me. My grandfather would wear pleated pants. How am I going to hang out with the kids? Don't care. College shirt as well. Really? I guess I better take this earring out. Yes, you better. I couldn't believe it. Here I am on youth night with pleated pants and a college shirt. Couldn't believe it. You know, it was fascinating. A few years later, I went back to Southview. I was preaching there. This was back in 2014. And, um, and William, who was the senior pastor at the time, you know, I, I meet the crew and they're all wearing jeans and they're all in T-shirts. And I'm like, what is going on? And he looked at me and he goes, yeah, sorry about that, Rob. I was like, oh. And I looked at the other guys, you don't believe, for five, almost five years, I had to wear pleated pants, <laughs> collared shirts. Oh, that's horrible. But it's the same kind of concept, right? To be a Christian, to be a leader, you need to dress this way. You need to, you know, move into this. If you're this, you need to be that. If you're doing this, you need to be doing that. And we kind of box people into this if. And you know why? Because it's hard for us. It's hard for Christians to just say, I trust the Holy Spirit to convict people. The law is easy. It just tells me what's right, what's wrong. And why can't we just do that? It's just so much easier. But to actually step back. And, and you know, people close to me know I struggle with this. And I think this is something I've got nailed. But if you could just step back and actually trust the Holy Spirit in people's lives. 
Man, that would be an amazing way of being a community, wouldn't it? And Paul is essentially saying this. Saying that it's circumcision, who are you trying to please? What are you trying to get on with here? He goes on. As he keeps going, he goes, May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. And this is like a little stab here. This is Paul. You know, it's again, you know, when you're sending out those emails and you're like, should I say this? Should I not say this? <laughs> you know, and then you send it, you go, oh, I'm being petty. Right? Anyone been that way when you send an email off and you think, oh, I was a bit, a bit petty with that one, wasn't I? Am I the only one? Oh, yeah, nervous laughter. I get it. Oh, this is Paul's version of being petty. Because then at the end of it, he goes, peace and mercy to all who follow this rule. To the Israel of God. He's just told them, don't follow the law, don't follow them, forget about circumcision, and those who do that are the Israel of God. It's a little jab to all those following the law. <laughs> and, and, and I love it because you see the humanness of Paul come out in this, right? He's like, come on, guys, what is going on with you? And so he just throws this little jab. N.T. Wright puts it this way, how can then anyone who has glimpsed Jesus as the crucified Messiah want to cling to the values, the identity markers, the way of life of the world that has already been pronounced dead on the cross? It's fascinating, fascinating that Christ dies on the cross is resurrected, but still has the marks of the cross on him. You've heard me preach on this before. It's fascinating. The only marks we need to carry are those. And we have a circumcision here? No. Cross is all the marks we need. As Paul goes off to end it, and he ends it so well, he says, From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. Brilliant way to end. As only Paul can. In his pettiness and anger, in his frustrations, we've read it all over these last 22 weeks. And in the end, he says, hey, do what you want, really. But from now on, don't cause me any trouble, for the marks I bear on my body are the marks of Jesus. The challenge for you this morning as we leave Galatians behind, as we move on to a new series next week. This is your challenge. Is it all about what you're doing, or is it all about who you are becoming? Because if we truly believe in heaven, we truly believe in the afterlife, 
doesn't really matter how many good sermons you preach. It doesn't matter how far up that corporate ladder you go. And it doesn't matter how big a house you have. Those are not the questions God's going to be asking you. Jesus is not going to ask you, what did you do? He's going to be asking, who have you put there? This is more important than anything in your life. And as we saw with Jonah, he will put people in danger to get through to you. Think about that. He cares about you and who you become. To the point that he may even endanger the lives of the people around you. This is our God. And this is Paul's letter to the Galatians. There is freedom in Christ. Freedom to be the people he has called us to be, to do. Let our do be an outpouring of our being rather than our doing shaping our being. Does that make sense? Now the music team will come. I pray over you this morning. I pray that God may open your hearts. May you be able to see in the mirror, not with all the fancy clothes you might have or, or, or all the awards you might have had or even all the pain and the hurt you might carry, but that you may see yourself as God sees you. That you may turn away from that cycle of grief and turn to that cycle of grace and know that you are accepted. <coughs> There's nothing you need to do about that. May you know how much he loves you. And maybe this is a moment for you to recommit your life to him. Maybe this is a moment for you to just stop and say, what have I been doing? Been on this merry-go-round of grief, trying and trying and trying. This is your moment this morning to just stop and recommit yourself to a God who is pursuing you. Pursuing you. Thank you.